and the son of an Israelitish woman whose father was an Egyptian went out among the children of Israel. It means he went out from the land of Egypt. That's that mixed race that followed Israel in the wilderness. And this son of the Israelitish woman and a man of Israel strove together in the camp. And the Israelitish woman's son blasphemed the name of the Lord and cursed. And they brought him unto Moses. And his mother's name was Salometh, the daughter of Dibri of the tribe of Dan. And they put him in ward, that the mind of the Lord might be shown them. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Bring him that hath cursed without the camp. And let all that heard him lay their hands upon his head. And let all the congregation stone him. And thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel, saying, Whosoever curseth his God shall bear his sin. And he that blasphemeth the name of the Lord, he shall surely be put to death. And all the congregation shall certainly stone him, as well the stranger as he that is born in the land, when he blasphemeth the name of the Lord, shall be put to death. Let us jump over then to the positive side of what we are called to do. Psalm 145. I will extol thee, my God, O King, and I will bless thy name forever and ever. Every day will I bless thee, and I'll praise thy name forever and ever. Why? Verse 3, great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise thy works to another, and shall declare thy mighty acts. I will speak of the glorious honor of thy majesty, and of thy wondrous works. And men shall speak of the might of thy terrible acts, and I will declare thy greatness. They shall abundantly utter the memory of thy great goodness and shall sing of thy righteousness. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are over all his works. All thy works shall praise thee, O Lord, and thy saints shall bless thee. They shall speak of the glory of thy kingdom and talk of thy power to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and thy dominion endureth throughout all generations. The Lord upholdeth all that fall and raiseth up all those that be bowed down. The eyes of all wait upon thee and thou givest them their meat in due season. Thou openest thy hand and satisfieth the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and holy in all his works. The Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon him, to all that call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of them that fear him. He will hear their cry and will save them. The Lord preserveth all them that love him, but all the wicked will he destroy. My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Based on these, many other passages of God's word, we have Lord's Day 36 and 37. Two Lord's Days dealing with the third commandment. 
two Lord's Days, and I'm going to take them together this morning, because at the time of the writing of our catechism, they were dealing with the Anabaptist who taught that it was wrong to swear any oaths, even if the government or the church requires it of one. Lord's Day 36, what is required in the third commandment? That we, not only by cursing or perjury, but also by rash swearing, must not profane or abuse the name of God, nor by silence or connivance be partakers of these horrible sins in others. And briefly, that we use the name of God no otherwise than with fear and reverence, so that he may be rightly confessed and worshipped by us and be glorified in all of our words and works. Question 100. Is then the profaning of God's name by swearing and cursing so heinous a sin that his wrath is kindled against those who do not endeavor as much as in them lies to prevent and forbid such cursing and swearing? And the answer is, it undoubtedly is. For there is no sin greater or more provoking to God than the profaning of his name, and therefore he has commanded this sin to be punished with death. Lord's Day 37, question 101. May we then swear religiously by the name of God? And the answer is yes. Either when the magistrates demand it of the subjects, or when necessity requires us thereby to confirm fidelity and truth to the glory of God and the safety of our neighbor, for such an oath is founded on God's word and therefore was justly used by the saints, both in the Old and the New Testament. Question 102. May we also swear by saints or by other creatures? Answer, no. For a lawful oath is calling upon God as the only one who knows the heart that he will bear witness to the truth and punish me if I swear falsely, which honor is due to no creature. May God bless the explanation of his word as it is set forth in this catechism question and answer. Two Lord's Days, beloved, on the third commandment. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. How we read in James 3, verse 8, the tongue is full of deadly poison. Therefore, no one member of the body that breaks forth more in God's dishonor than the tongue. We have this commandment then as a bridle for our tongues to bind it to good behavior. There used to be signs placed in some places which would say, quote, profanity strictly forbidden, end quote. I haven't seen that sign at all lately, have you? Is it that our generation has outgrown that need for that? That our generation now has purer mouths and a less sinful use of God's name? Has modern education so increased vocabulary that now men can express themselves without swearing and cursing? Has a new profound reverence come upon people for God's holy name gripping men and women's hearts? 
And such thinking is idle fantasy, isn't it? If I sit on my porch and I hear my neighbor speaking, I hear that name taken in vain. Or if one would visit the army barracks or a factory, one would hear that name misused. Or if you read a modern novel, you will find over and over the Lord's name being taken in vain. Or if you listen to even political leaders, whether it be our president now or the hopeful Republican you hear words coming out of their mouth that are curses on others. The taking of God's name in vain, how quickly we're taken back to reality. Maybe the signs forbidding the abuse of God's name have disappeared, but not the sin itself. That sin has not disappeared, but has increased. For the ungodly, they grow in their sins. And that sin has not disappeared, but sadly has increased also by those who are called God's people. And so as God's people, we need to know the boundary for our use of God's name. A boundary for our tongues. How will we use God's name? Notice the great name of God. Second of all, our attitude towards God's name. And thirdly, God's judgment with regard to his name. Notice the great name of our God. I could have taken any number of passages of Scripture that emphasize the greatness of God's name. And what is the significance of that name? It reveals God and his attributes and his works. God revealed his name to Moses when he was going to go to the Israelites and they might know who sent Moses and whose name does he come and who would affect that great deliverance out of the land of Israel. of that land of sin and slavery to sin. What name is it? I am that I am. Or Psalm 8 verse 1, which we sang from, didn't we? O Jehovah our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Or all those different passages in the text that we read from Psalm 145, I will bless thy name forever and ever. Great is Jehovah and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. It is through his name that God is pleased to reveal himself. There is no other way for us to destroy to find out God, except in his revelation to us. And the reason is because of the blindness of our eyes. Without sin, we would be able to see in the world the power and the glory of God and fall down to worship him. And we would have our ears open to what he says by his spirit. Sin blinds and makes one deaf. But oh, the greatness of our God, who has given us new hearts, who has opened up our eyes, who has opened up our ears. We know our God and his greatness. And even though God uses many different names to show the various aspects of himself and his salvation, just as the Lord Jesus has many different names to reveal various aspects of his glory and his work. Boys and girls, think of some of those names in catechism. You're asked in one of your 
your lessons to write some of those names down, aren't you? Jesus is called the lion, but also the lamb. Jesus is called the door, but also the good shepherd who enters in. Jesus Christ is called the way, the truth, the life. He's called the resurrection and the life. He's called the bread of life. He's called the light of the world. He's called the vine. And the names go on and on and on. So our triune God also has various names. Because in those different names, he reveals various aspects of himself, of his attributes, and of his wonderful work. The highest, the most beautiful name is Jehovah, which our King James Bible wrongly, I think, from its authors, thought it was too holy a name to put there, and so they put the word Lord in all capital letters. But when you and I see that word Lord in capital letters, let's read that precious name there, Jehovah. For while God's name is holy, and may, we may not abuse it, God has given that name to us so that we may know more about him, we may call upon that name, we can speak about that name, Jehovah, the covenant God, the self-sufficient God who needs nothing, who has always existed and will always exist, the one who has made a relationship with us, his own beautiful family relationship, he takes us up into it. He is called the Lord of hosts. Not only all the angels that do his bidding, but he is Lord over all of his creatures. So that an ungodly man like Caesar is going to be used by God to deliver his people from Babylon. So that sin comes into this world by that devil. That is also in God's will and plan. All the actions of history. He is the Lord of hosts. So that means he is the Lord over the angels. He's over the Lord over his church. He is Lord over the wicked. He is the Lord even over the demons. Exodus 33 verse 19 and he said, I will make my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee. That was to Moses. Moses, when he climbed on the hill, and he wanted to see God's glory, he was afraid. God said because of Israel's sin at Mount Sinai, God himself would not go with Moses or the people to the promised land. And Moses begs for the people's lives as a mediator. He says, if you don't go with us, I don't want to go either. Show me your glory, and the Lord does. And the Lord says, I will make my goodness to pass before you. That is also one of God's names, isn't it? His goodness, or he is good. Therefore, we have to be careful how we use all those different names of God, that we use them with reverence and with sincerity. The basis for this third commandment, that we may not abuse God's name, is the holiness of God. Boys and girls, to understand that perhaps remember when David wrongly put the Ark of the Covenant on a cart with two oxen driving it. The Ark was holy, and men could not touch it. Only the Levites could, with poles through rings, carry it. And God did not take lightly when Uzzah, Yes, well-meaning, but wrong, reached out his hand and he touched that Ark of the Covenant. The Lord was angry and he died. Because that Ark was holy, it signified God's presence with his people. So also God's name is holy and watch out. Toward the end of this sermon, watch out. 
for God has not changed his attitude toward his own holiness. Holiness is the attribute of God which pictures his infinite perfections of his being. In his name and in his holiness, his beauty leaps out, shining forth through the light of the law so that we might know him as the only God, the creator, the redeemer. That holiness is revealed in his name, the Holy One, the Most High God. God is holy and you and I derive our holiness from him. So we are given that name of God in order that we might rightly know him by those various names. So that in studying God's word, we may grasp the glory of our God, the greatness of our God, the beauty of our God. We are given those names of our God. And so in a passage, when you're studying a passage or reading a passage, ask, which name of God is listed here? Why is that name listed in this particular context? We are given those names in order that we, number one, may speak to God. And number two, so that we may speak to one another about God. God reveals his names to us so that we may know those names and speak to him, calling upon him by name, but also that we may speak about him with that name. Jehovah did this. Jehovah did that. How wonderful that God allows us, his children, to come up to his throne to call upon him. How wonderful that we are able to communicate to one another our great God and what he has done for us this past week. What he's done for us this yesterday maybe. Or what he's done to us even this morning. As we thank God in our prayer that a member of the church was, is recovering from sickness. As we call upon God's name this morning for another member that is going to undergo surgery, as we call upon that name for one another's, and as we speak about our God to one another and to the world around us, the beautiful proclamation of God's word, that God's word is to be brought promiscuously wherever God opens up a door for us. That we may speak about our God in our homes. Parents, speaking with your children. Telling them what God has done so far in your life, what he is doing in their lives. As we speak about our faith in him, when we confess our faith, when we witness to others around us. In other words, in God's name revealed to us that God is what he says, what he does, what he co commands us. The command now, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Do you remember, boys and girls, Isaiah chapter 6? When Isaiah sees the seraphim, as they stand before God in all of his glory, they cover their face and they cover their feet with their wings, and they cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. What was Isaiah's response? He says, I am a man of unclean lips. Woe is me. Isn't that what you and I really ought to be saying and doing also? When God reveals himself to us in his word. 
Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. Unclean lips that often abuse that self-revelation of God. So rampant is that abuse of God's name that we tend to become callous to those who take his name in, in vain. It becomes so commonplace to us, which the world says is a freedom of speech, which God says is the very reason that one should be put to death. So my question here, second point of the sermon, what is your, what is my attitude towards God's name? It is holy. Our attitude must be that we avoid that common abuse of God's name all around us. Those unclean lips that play so freely and loosely with the name of God, using it flippantly, unthinkingly, falsely, defiantly, wickedly. What are the most common abuses of that name? I think universally in the army barracks, but it also meets you and me in our homes, on the streets. And now by fathers and mothers with children, the rich, the poor, the uncouth and the cultured, the professor and the student, the politician and the citizen all around us. Not only is that often done in anger so that these phrases come flying out of our mouths, but also on surprise and happy times, or perhaps on trips when we see something. Not only at animals that get in our way, but people that get in our way or cars that get in our way. The precious name of our Lord abused for whatever trivial reason or no reason at all. That's the kind of world that greets our covenant youth. And hopefully, hopefully the Christian home, hopefully the Christian school, hopefully the church of Jesus Christ is not a sphere that hears that but rather an atmosphere that is free from that kind of abuse of God's name. May our children be prepared so that their sensitive consciences are not only shocked by those first few weeks of being here in the world or in a public university, but also that their conscience will continue to hurt and to grieve and to be nauseated every time that precious name of our God is abused. May our ears not grow dull with hearing. May our consciences not be calloused. May we set a watch over our own lips, lest a curse slip out from our tongues if, for example, we hit our finger with a hammer or if we stub our toe on an object, how you and I need the grace of God to tame our lips and our tongues and our hearts. So there is the blatant misuse of our Lord Jesus' name or that phrase, oh my God, without really looking to God talking about that God to his glory. <coughs> Beloved, there is second of all a weakened, a weakened kind of taking God's name or a weakened way of cursing. Practiced by those who are horrified at outright cursing, but instead of saying the names of our God 
make it a slur such as, gee, gosh, golly, darn, my goodness. Now you say perhaps, wow, even that's wrong to say, oh, my goodness? Young people, children have asked that of me. Is that wrong to say, oh, my goodness? Well, let's read God's word. Exodus 33, verse 19. And he said, this is God, I shall make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee. So you see in that passage, my goodness and is synonymous with the name of God. So who are we calling upon when we see something or when we hear something and we say those kind of words? It is God himself. Now, the children might say or others might say, well, I don't mean anything by it. I'm not sure you don't, but it's still a sin. A using of God's name carelessly. I am deeply offended when at the army ungodly men abuse God's name. But beloved, I'm more deeply offended when I hear God's people. When I hear covenant parents and children abusing and using carelessly the name of their God. So the outright cursing or using others' words for God without consciously thinking of him and praising him and speaking his name for his glory. There is thirdly, perjury. When under oath one is to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. Swearing on the Bible, swearing before God, the God of truth and justice, because God knows the heart. And we can see why that is necessary in a wicked world, because many people lie. And the court needs to hear the absolute truth, that truth brought to them under God's watchful eye. But it's not only in the courts that is necessary. At times in the church. When a member falls into a terrible sin, and when he is brought to repentance for it, and he is reestablished in the church, and he falls again and again and again in that same sin, finally the council will take them before him, or take him before them and say, Swear. We can't read your heart. We can only hear the words, but every time you say those words that you're sorry for that sin, you keep on doing it. I want to know what's in your heart. I want God who knows the heart. Here you swear that you are sorry for your sins, repentant for what you've done. This is nothing new. God himself, Christ Jesus, in this sinful world, would swear an oath of his promises, of his goodness, of what he's going to do for his people. The apostles would take an oath that they are not lying, but they are speaking the truth when they brought the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is really alive, raised from the dead. So when we are called to swear an oath before the church, or before the courts of this law, keep that in mind. In other words, we don't say, no, 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 I'm not guilty, I'm not guilty, until finally they give me a lesser, uh, lesser punishment for my wrongdoing. Lawyers telling clients to tell lies and wait for them to get off with an easier sentence. We may not perjure ourselves using God's name. God's name is abused when we think we got to swear to the truth when a yes or a no should be sufficient. What does that mean? 
it means that we have fibbed so many times that when we say something again, we're not really sure that that person is honest, that it's the truth. And so we say, are, are, is that for sure? Yes. By God, it is true. It shouldn't be necessary for us in everyday speech. Our yea and our nay should be sufficient. That means we should be people of the truth. Sometimes little kids, when they're talking, at least they used to. I'm too old to know now what the little kids say. But they used to say if they told something, I swear to it, cross my heart and hope to die. Boys and girls, do you know what those words are? How many fibs are brought, lies are brought, saying those kind of words and you are calling on God who knows the heart to strike you dead if you are not telling the absolute truth? William of Orange, who was the king of the Dutch Republic, once paid this compliment to the Baptist in the, in the Netherlands. Quote, their yea was equal to our oath. In other words, a yes and a no, you can count on it. We are guilty of abusing God's name if we stand in the presence of a person, that person abusing God's name, and then with silent lips, we don't say anything about it. We say, ah, it's not so bad. Well, we're failing. We are failing to rebuke that kind of use of our God's name. Then we are guilty of his, that guilt. That is what the catechism is talking about. By connivance or by silence, we just stand by. If someone misuses your wife's name, says crass things about your mother, you wouldn't stand there, would you? And just take it? And the answer is no. How about your God in all of his glory? How dare they misuse his name and for us to stand by silent and say, well, they're going to ridicule me if I say that. Let them ridicule. Maybe they'll even increase in that horrible thing to their own damnation. Sixthly, we abuse God's name when we speak slightly or irreverently of, of his name. That is, when we call upon God in our prayers, but our minds are a mile away. Or when we're singing these beautiful songs about our God's glory and using his name. And we're just really thinking about where the notes are going so we sound pretty rather than the words that are being expressed. What do we read in Isaiah 29 verse 13? This people draw near me with their mouth and with their lips do honor me, but they have removed their heart far from me. That is not just in the book of Matthew, but Jesus also quotes those words. We find him in Matthew 15, verse 8. This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. That is, we abuse God's name if our walk, if our life doesn't match our speech. To be religious is not just to say pious things about God, but it is to live for his glory. May our walk match our talk. Titus 1 verse 16, they profess to know God but in works they deny him. Or lastly, how do we abuse God's name? In the vows that we make. Yes, I know there's a difference between oaths and vows. Oaths are used in order to convey the very truth of what we're saying. Others will force us to say an oath. A vow is voluntary. We abuse God's name when we vow that we will love and honor and help one another in our marriage vows. 
we make that vow to God and before his people and how many then break that vow later on when life gets a little bit difficult and when that person isn't exactly the saint that they, you thought they were. And we say, we go our own way. God's name is abused when we break our marriage vows. God's name is abused when we make a vow at baptism that we will bring up these children in the fear of the Lord to the best of our ability. And then we do not teach our children as we ought. I remember once on house visitation asking about devotions and no, in that Christian home, they had no time for family altar, that is for devotions around the table or at the evening. And they didn't have their private devotions. God's, that vow in baptism, I will bring up my children in the fear of the Lord to the best of my ability, is abuse of God's name. Because they're just too busy. Or when children come to catechism and they don't know their lesson at all, and I ask, did your parents go over it with you? And they say, no, parents, that is an abuse of your baptismal vow. You must be interested in your children's religious development as well as their physical development. So that you ask on Sunday before they may go and do anything else, let's hear your answers to the catechism questions. Let's look over your work that's written out because you care for your children growing up. Our Christian schools being used. So that same precious truths that we hear from Sunday to Sunday are also brought to bear on every subject in the classroom of our schools. We abuse God's name if we ever speak evil about our God in anger or disappointment. Then may we hear what the psalmist says, be still and know that I am God. What are the reasons for that kind of abuse of God's name, even in the church? The corruption, not only of the hearts of the wicked out there, but beloved, as believers, we still have that old man of sin within us, don't we? And so at many times we're only too ready to imitate the world that is around us, use their vocabulary as our vocabulary to be like them and to speak like them. Beloved, our attitude must be fight that abuse of the precious name of our God. For we are taught by our Lord Jesus, aren't we, in the Lord's Prayer, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Our attitude, beloved, positively must be then that we honor God's name. That's why God has given that name of himself to us, so that we may stand in reverence and in awe of it. And of course, that is only possible with a regenerated heart, isn't it? A converted heart. We possess God's name in our hearts and we love that, that name and therefore our lips will speak glorious things about that name with fear and reverence. And we do it as we grow in our knowledge of God's names and what they mean. Love for that name. Positive instruction. Know that your and my God, Jehovah, is the sovereign God and use his name then in a godly fear and holy reverence. Yes, speak to him. Call on his name. Respond to his word. We sing. We pray. We confess him as our God. 
in our private, personal Bible study and prayer. Call on that name. Speak that name. Train your children how to speak to him. Speak about him. Speak to one another about him. Instead of right away talking about our vacations or what we're going to do tomorrow or what we did yesterday and everything else, maybe the ball games, may we speak about what our God has done for us. For we read in Matthew chapter 10, everyone therefore who will confess my, me before men, him will I also confess before my Father who's in heaven. So speak about your God to one another. Speak about God to those whom God places on your path, perhaps sitting next to you in the plane, or perhaps standing next to you in the factory or in the office. Don't be silent. Don't be afraid. Afraid of what they're going to say or what they're going to think. Who cares? It's what God thinks of us. He's given us his glorious name that we may know him and confess him and live for him. Listen again to the psalmist. I will extol thee, my God. I will bless thy name forever and ever. Every day will I bless thee and I'll praise thy name forever and ever. One generation shall praise thy works to another and declare thy mighty acts. I will declare thy greatness. The goal of this commandment finds its purpose in the glorification of God. That's the boundary of our use of God's name as his people. All that we say, all that we do, May it be for God's glory. Colossians 3, verse 17, And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. When we think of what that name of our God means to us personally and to as God's people, and what it means to our children, our words and our works will glorify him. Notice with me, thirdly, God's judgment in regard to his name. The world may laugh. They may say it doesn't really make any difference. How does the holy God react to the abuse of his name? Transgressors think little of it. How often the response is, I don't mean anything by it. It's only a habit with me. Those, there are those who call the Reformed view of this commandment needless hair-splitting, or even legalism, they say. God says, I will not hold him guiltless that taketh my name in vain. Oh, beloved, there is a judgment of wrath Wrath upon us as he put his hand on the Ark of the Covenant when it was toppling on the cart. The wrath of God upon that young lad who followed the Israelites and cursed God's name and blasphemed. Put outside the camp of Israel, the hands of the congregation put on him saying, we heard those words and they're not our words. We don't want anything to do with those words. And he was stoned. God says, I will not hold him guiltless. That is a deliberate statement that ought to strike fear in the sinner's heart. God will deal with a sinner. Yes, there might be freedom of speech so that our politicians can damn this person or that person. But our God will not take it lightly. There is no greater sin than taking God's name in vain. That's what the catechism says. 
quite often, we think it's often, and it is awful, when there is sexual abuse or when there is adultery in a marriage or when young people are fornicating together. That's terrible, the seventh commandment. But that third commandment, the catechism says, there is no greater sin, question and answer 100, there is no sin greater or more provoking to God than the profaning of his lips. Do you see how severe the Lord treats this commandment? Worse than that of murder or adultery. Think of that. Think of that when you utter a thoughtless prayer or sing a song without thinking the words of it or when another person abuses God's name in your hearing and you don't say anything about it. As we come to this third commandment, the words of Isaiah, when he saw God's glory, I am a man of unclean lips. Ask this morning, have I been too careless with God's name in my life? Have I forgotten or neglected this boundary of the use of his name? Go. Go flee to the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Confess your sin. There is forgiveness and mercy with God. God's judgment is not only a judgment of wrath, beloved, but second of all, it is a judgment of holiness. Yes, yes, there is implied there the forgiveness of our sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. And you and I have to confess that probably every day we are guilty of breaking this commandment. That is thoughtlessly in our prayers, in our songs, in our conversation of abusing God's name. What is implied in this commandment is by God's grace a humble heart that loves God, loves his name, and wants to use our lips to proclaim the glory of God's name. Gratitude. Speak, O oh beloved, speak God's name. That's why he gave it to you, to know. Speak God's name. That is our duty of thankfulness and love. I will Call upon thee, the Lord, uh, the psalmist says, I will proclaim the greatness of thy name. Amen. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name. We thank thee that we know thee in thy wonderful names. We know thee as our Father. We know thee as the God of our covenant, the covenant that thou hast established with us and with our children and our children's children. We want to honor thee, Father. Honor thee with our words and also our lives. Give us thy grace, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat>